the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon and welcome. Great to have you on board for the Friday edition of Lifeline. Finally made it here. It's the 11th of May. Quick reminder, of course, this Sunday is Mother's Day. So I trust if you're listening to me right now, that means you've either bought the gift for mom or are on your way, or maybe you planned a nice uh, luncheon or dinner for Sunday, but whatever happens, to be in your plans, make sure you treat mom well. We're going to treat you well over the next couple of hours here this evening as we uh, keep you company. And as we do so, we're going to lead off with some of the big stories of the week. And of course, uh, one of the, the big stories that's uh, capturing some attention is the fact that <sighs> nice change of pace. Stocks riding a seven-day winning streak today on Wall Street. Energy shares ruled the day. Oil prices continue to surge even after the president has vowed to pull us out of the Iran nuclear deal, or actually did the D. Today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gaining almost 100 points to close the day up 92 to 24,831. Lots going on in the world of money, and one guy who's had his eye on it for many, many years and gives you the perspective that, quite frankly, both the Wall Street insiders and even Washington, D.C. doesn't want you to know. He is nationally syndicated talk show host, money expert Phil Grandy from Phil's Gang. Phil, great to have you on the show. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Good afternoon. Well, nice relief, as they say, a nice uptick here, seven-day winning streak today on Wall Street. Well, we're still, what, almost 1,800 points down from the high of January of the 26th of this year. Still, it, it feels good to see us back in some positive territory for the year. Yeah, I was just disappointed with the volume. The volume, volume was not very good today, but the... Uh, and, and the leadership, I, you know, I want to see the banks leading, and, and we didn't get the leadership out of the banks. Oils are, of course, still going up a little bit, but they're starting to fade a little because, uh, as you know, most of that has to do with the geopolitical stuff that's going on rather than, than uh, economies around the world are booming and they need oil. So, but uh, but all in all, the big thing we've got to get back up to that date that you said, January 26th. That's the real test. And if they can't make it, then we're going to go down uh, and break to new lows. So the, the court is still out on this. So we're, we're – uh, and the volume has really been the problem. We're just not seeing the institutions coming in here and participating the way they should. Why do you think that there's been this degree of, of lethargy in the markets over the last many months? I mean, we certainly ended 2017 on a high note. We began on a high note in 2018. And then it just seems as if it sort of ran out of steam at the end of the month. Some of said that it's kind of in this uh, this multi-year bull run just kind of run out of energy and and what's curious is a lot of the fundamentals are strong we're seeing decent price earnings ratios we're seeing decent quarterly reports coming in from a lot of the big names and the blue chip as well as on the nasdaq so what what would you say is is sort of creating this this lethargy 
It's the earnings because the earnings are in the rears. The big problem we got is earnings going forward. Now, earnings is everything. And because we had the tax cut and we picked up about a 7% gain in the earnings, but that was old news that showed up uh, in these earnings, meaning that we knew going back to the night that Trump was elected and going forward, uh, to 2018 that we would get a bump in these earnings. That's good news. The bad news is going forward, we have a problem because the dollar is surging and we already have a trade deficit. And therefore, the earnings aren't going to be that good. And they probably won't match. And we also got, again, the growth, our growth, as you know, in the second, first quarter 2018 lagged the the uh, numbers the the growth we had in the last quarter of 2017. So the big problem is going forward, wages are low. We're not getting the wages we need, and they're just worried about the trade deficit because the dollar is just too high right now. We've got to get that dollar down. The only way they can do that is with QE. As you you know, they, they probably start taking that. That's the other problem. That the 10-year Treasury rate's high. Uh, you know, that three percent—that's becoming a problem. They're worried about that as well. So it almost seems as if this big tax cut that got so much hype at the beginning of the year turned out to be a bit of a double-edged sword. In that it was a nice bump to corporate earnings, and we've seen some companies even come back and do huge stock buybacks like Apple. But it's the sustainability, of course, that becomes a problem. You take the big, the big boost here at the beginning of the year, and then you get into the the second and third quarter is like, okay, what have you done for me lately? Is that essentially the challenge? Yeah, and that's why the, that's why you're not seeing the institutions, the insurance companies, the hedge funds not coming in here. That's why you're seeing this lag after that 10% correction. It's not going right back up because, it's, yeah, that that's another problem. And, uh, I mean, just a host of, of things that are concerning. And uh, the growth is the big problem. We're just not having the growth. We're not getting the wages and, 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 and you've got the health care that hasn't been settled. Uh, it was great today that Trump came out with the prescription drugs. That was good news, trying to cut those back. But the problem is when people aren't getting increased wages for, for all these years, uh, that, that, that's tough. And, uh, you know, the wages stay flat. And then you got, of course, the inflation knocking up that 10-year treasury. But the real problem is you got the short-term uh, uh, rate, which is now catching up to the 10-year. We're at 3% on the 10-year. The short is only uh, two and a half. That spells recession. In the last seven recessions, uh, they all always been spot on. As soon as that, as soon as that short-term two-year got close to that. Ten-year always turned into recession. So they're worried about the recession, worried about the interest rates, um, and worried about earnings. When the Fed decided in the May meeting to leave the rate currently as it is, in spite of the fact that they had been signaling signaling since last year that it would probably be a multiple series of interest rate increases throughout 2018, what do you think was going through their minds? What drove that decision? Well, the problem is that, you know, when, when, when Greenspan, of course, in two years, drove rates up 17 times, she only drove up rates, well, I think, what, five times. And they, they really had to drive those rates up because one side, they're saying the economy's doing great. And the question is, well, if the economy's doing great, why aren't you raising rates more than you are? And same thing with if the economy's great, then how come we have, uh, you know, a good economy, but wages aren't going up? And uh, and that's that's another big problem because wages aren't increasing, even though the economy is supposed to be doing better. 
But there's answers for that too, because we got robots taking most of the um, uh, uh, jobs. We also have, uh, which is unusual, we used to only have contracts with executives. They couldn't go leave and compete. Now it's all going down all the way through the workers. So there's a lot of uh, you know non-competes out there. So they people can't go out and ask you know the boss for for a uh, for a raise. There's a, such a host of problems. But the real thing is these stocks are 30 to 40 percent overvalued because of the stock buybacks of five trillion dollars for heaven's sakes in, in a site of eight years and and now with this tax cut instead of using that money for capital investment to get the wages up they're, they're, they're using what they're over 150 what billion dollars now a month in stock buybacks that's insane that that's the real problem yeah i suppose if you're a stockholder you like a little increase in the dividends and um, companies in there as you say with the big stock buybacks but that's not really getting down and filtering into the areas that we were promised and that is uh reaching the average worker and it's interesting to note um in the latest report out of the Labor Department indicating that while the small business optimist index uh, is just up a fraction from uh, in April as it was from March, the small business sector is reporting that their continued frustration is finding qualified workers. And I have to wonder how much of that inability to find, quote unquote, qualified workers is directly tied into wages. Well, there's a problem there because, again, we, we don't have the qualified workers to run these robots. That's number one. You have robots, but you got to get people to run them. Uh, we, again, we don't have the, uh, the work. The jobs that are open and we can't fill are high-tech jobs that need training. And companies have not been training people because they don't use that money for for training or R&D. They put it in their pocket when they're doing these stock buybacks. So there's the vacuum is that, you know, they, none of these corporations are saying, hey, let's let's look to the future, start training our people so that we're ready when we do have robots and so forth. And, and that's another, another thing. They're, they're these stock buybacks, they just don't do R&D anymore. Uh, the government's cut back 42% of their R&D. Um, it's, it's really, this, this, this stock buybacks is, is creating a real mess and it's going to be the cause of our stock market crash. Is it fair to say that this is perhaps sort of backfiring on the intentions of the administration when the proposal to reduce the corporate uh, tax rate by, what, 15% or so was first proposed? Yeah, they, they, they knew that uh, this was going to happen. That's why they didn't mandate it. I mean, they're talking in the beginning about mandating it where if they didn't give uh, back, uh, if they didn't use some of the money for capital investment, they'd lose part of their tax cut. But they knew the corporations are, weren't going to uh, put money back in when there's no demand for the corporations. I mean, if you think about if you have no demand, if you're making uh, uh, hats and there's no demand for hats, you know, it's, it's why are you going to buy new equipment and for hat making when you're not going to produce anything more? The new machine's going to be sitting there. And so the administration knew this was going to happen because the corporations, even if the guy's not greedy, just the CEOs, he's being responsible. He said, look, why will I put uh, you know my money back into capital investment when there's no demand for products anywhere and the economy can't grow? The economy's not growing, so I'm not going to put my money in. I'm going to buy our own stock back. And that's the big problem right there. There's no demand. 
If you've just joined our conversation, we're visiting with money expert Phil Grandy. He is the host of the nationally syndicated radio program, Phil's Gang. It's heard every Monday through Friday at 12 noon Pacific time on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. Coming up tomorrow, Saturday, May the 12th, from noon until 3 p.m. Eastern time. That'll be 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific time here in California. There is a very special webinar that Phil is going to be conducting that helps offer insights into not only all the machinations and gyrations going on on Wall Street, but most importantly, how you as an individual working on saving for retirement can learn the movement of the markets and take advantage of that movement for your own personal gain. Information available about this special webinar, again, the date is tomorrow, Saturday, May the 12th. It'll be 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. California time, and details and reservations available on the web at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. We'll take a brief time out, more details on the webinar, more of our conversation as we take a look at the world of money with Phil Grandy here on the Friday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our very special guest. He is the host of the nationally syndicated radio program, Phil's Gang. Heard every Monday through Friday at 12 noon Pacific time on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. Great source for money and business information. And, of course, Phil has been in the world of Wall Street and money for many, many years. He's involved in training people on how to really understand the way the markets work in a no-nonsense, straightforward fashion. Demystifies it all. Gives you the inside story that, quite frankly, Wall Street and the big fat cat money guys don't want you to know, and then gives you the tools necessary so that you can essentially put to work your knowledge to make money for your financial future. Information, by the way, about a very special webinar, and we're going to get more details to you on in a moment. That webinar taking place tomorrow, Saturday, 9 a.m. till noon Pacific time. And you can get information right now on the web by going to philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Today, Phil, the president, of course, announcing that moves are being made to lower prescription drug prices. That certainly is good news. And while there's been some effort to try to repeal some of the more onerous aspects of the Obamacare legislation, it still remains a major gap, both in terms of of assuring affordable health care for everybody and doing something to to deal with the inflation rate of health care, which continues to run at double digits. What do you think the reaction is going to be by the pharmaceutical companies on word of this announcement by the president today? Well, I, I think at the market, I was looking at some of the stocks, just kind of, you know, they, they don't know what to think of it right now. They got to let this short out for the next couple of days, but they're scared to death, of course, of the, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're getting it easy with the, uh, you know, they can keep that, develop that drug and uh, keep it for about 12 years and the exclusivity on it. That's what they're really worried about. And I, I think Trump is going to get that pushed through, but he's going to have a lot of problems in Congress because uh, these boys have lobbyists and uh, Congress likes putting their hand out. And that that's the big problem is the generic drug. They've got to get these drugs and let people buy drugs, you know, from Canada or elsewhere. But these generic drugs, that's what the, that's what the, uh, the these uh, companies are worried about. They they don't they want to have that uh, you know ten twelve years I think the average drug what five years now six years 
they keep, something like that. But they got to shorten that time, and I think that's what's going to spook them. I don't think the stocks, as far as the stocks, there wasn't much reaction to in the stocks today. We had a couple of stocks pop up, but I, I don't think there's going to be much reaction. Yeah, it may take a while for them to fully digest uh, the potential significance of all of this. And, of course, one of the long-term challenges has been, in addition to these lengthy periods of time in which they can continue to hold uh, medications that they develop as proprietary, then there's always been this notion that, well, they're arguing the prices need to be high because they've got to re- recoup all of their R&D costs. And scant times do they admit, oh, by the way, we're also getting big chunks of money coming in from HHS and other uh, departments within the federal government for development dollars, for research dollars. So they're, they're kind of playing both ends against the middle here, aren't they? Uh, yeah, and if you really look at some of their the numbers, I mean, they're spending more money on marketing, for heaven's sakes, and sales than R&D. Uh, I mean, they're really, I mean, they, 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 these are marketing companies. They spend a fortune on marketing these drugs, and that's one of the big beefs is, look, you guys keep on spending more money on marketing and sales than research and development. And then that, they come back and say, well, yeah, but we recoup our our investment. We need 12 years. Yeah, right. It's a tough one because you're going up against, it's like going up against the NRA. I mean, these guys have strong lobbyists. Undoubtedly so. It'll be interesting to see the way all of this plays out. Now, another arena that's uh, capturing some headline news this week, of course, has been the president's announcement of the United States withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal. Now, at a level, people, I think, need to be mindful. This was never a ratified treaty. It was simply basically an executive decision by Mr. Trump's predecessor, Barack Obama. And the president has every right to say, no, don't think it's a good idea. And so on behalf of the United States, I am withdrawing from this. This was a deal that the president made, Barack Obama, with Iran, not the United States of America. That said, what do you see as the potential impact here in terms of oil prices. We've seen an uptick in oil certainly over the last quarter. Um, Now some concerns as the U.S. may reimpose sanctions on Iran, whether or not OPEC is going to respond in a favorable fashion, give us a little bit of breathing room here, or are we going to continue to see oil prices go up? And if so, how does that benefit U.S. oil industry? Well, it's interesting. Like anything else, when the announcement comes out, most of what's uh, you know the the, the, the what's going to happen already happened. Meaning, in the last 26 months, oil's gone up 161 percent because inside everybody knew that he was not going. He was he was he was going to pull back. So much of the boost in oil is because of what he did uh, has already taken place. Just like the same thing with the tax cuts. Most of the uh, you know benefit of the tax cuts showed up in the market you know in the last year it, you know stocks went up so same thing with oil but uh, I, I I think the the big thing here now with Iran is um, you know the other you know which countries are going to behave themselves and not you know buy oil from Iran you know that that's you know who's going to support us who's going to stick with us here that's going to be the real problem but i think as far as oil i don't think you're going to if this was 20 years ago 15 years ago i'd say you know hey here we go oil storage i don't think so i mean it's just like there's so much oil out there right now just like gas i mean they just can't even give gas away i don't think it's going to have much of an impact now they they, they produce 
what is it? They produce like two, two and a half million barrels a day or export two and a half million barrels a day. Now it's going to get cut in half from what I understand. But I, I don't think it's going to be uh, much on the market. I don't think you're going to see uh, much pressure on, on, on oil or oil stocks. And, and certainly at this juncture, the United States uh, sort of is a reversal of fortunes from the uh, the oil and gas shortages of the 1970s. We actually export more oil than we import today. And so, you know, while that gives us, I think, a certain comfort level in terms of accessibility, it doesn't do much in terms of giving us any relief at the pumps, though, does it? It never shows up at the pumps. (laughs) (laughs) I was in that business. Never shows up at the pumps. (laughs) Phil, we've mentioned a couple of times about your upcoming webinar that will be taking place tomorrow, Saturday, from 9 until noon Pacific time. Tell us a bit about exactly what you're going to be teaching and sharing. Well, I thought it was a good time because, you know, this market's been on a, you know, straight uh, trend up for 10 years here. And people are so, um, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're just, they just don't think the market's going to come down again. Uh, and this market is going to, this will probably be the biggest collapse we're going to have. It'll be bigger than the first two combined. I mean, talking about going back to 1987, going back to, you know, 2000, uh, 2008. I, I think that the, um, the, right now is a good opportunity to start learning not only how to short a market, but how to identify. I want to show people it's easy to identify when a market, there's a problem and it's going to correct. And there's certain signals uh, that you just got to learn. It's not hard. Anybody can do it. And that's what I want to teach. I want to show people, but be prepared. You know, maybe the market will never come down again in our lifetime. You know, maybe they'll keep doing stock buybacks forever. But at some point, it's going to happen. And this one's going to be so violent this time because we're so over. We've we've never had a market overpriced like this before in the history of the market. This one's going to be very violent. So you want to take advantage and not only know when to, if you have a 401k, you'll know, you know, hey, you got to get out or do something, hedge it. Uh, most likely. Uh, and that's what I'm going to try to teach. And I, then I'm going to also show them how to make money. And they don't have to short a stock to make money. People are scared to short. I'm going to show them a technique where we can buy a stock. So when the market's going down, one stock you buy, it's called an inverse. As the market goes down, this stock goes up, so you're not afraid of shorting. But it's an opportune time. People, people are just too complacent. You know, they don't think the market's ever going to go down again. We just saw the VIX index drop. Did you see that? The VIX, the fear, they just dropped <laughs> yesterday. Like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, a, a little a little uh, shot on the arm of reality here. Folks forget that we're talking less than a decade ago when we saw the markets clear down at, what was it, 6,000 and change back in March of 09. And while we love to see it up in these uh, stratosphere range of uh, 23, 24, 25,000, thousand to think that that's just always going to continue and and not to understand the dynamics of what's happened to these markets historically it, it really really sort of not only defies logic but it also ignores the reality of history and there's too many similarities really scary between now and 1987 if you remember we had the four horsemen oh yes back then and now we have the five fang stocks and everything looks almost the same. Matter of fact, the charts, I, I, we overlaid the chart the other day. It was so scary, so similar. It was incredible. 
and and so it's it just a lot the same thing when the market crashed uh, in, in 1987 we had the trade deficit problem same thing today we have a trade deficit problem there's a lot of similarities going on so I just think it's a great opportunity to to uh, you know help people to identify for them. if they want it that's fine uh, you know if they don't fine but th- this is going to be an unbelievable crash and it is going to happen I predicted on uh, January 16th that we would have a 10% correction between then and the second week of February and it happened on January 26th I was right on it uh, and I'm predicting between now and uh, November uh, we're going to have quite a correction A good dose of a reality-based investment advice and insight from Phil Grandy. Information again about the webinar that will be held tomorrow, Saturday, between 9 a.m. and 12 noon California time, available on the web at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. We'll take this brief time out, come back to more insights with Phil Grandy as our conversation continues here on the Friday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline, visiting today with Phil Grandy from Phil's Gang. And, of course, Phil is offering that special seminar, the webinar tomorrow, available California time from 9 a.m. till 12 noon. You can get complete details by going to philsgang.com and easily register online. philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Do it tonight. Phil, one of your senators from uh, your part of the world there has introduced a new bill. Uh, The bill is dealing with the issue of fair trade or the lack thereof between the United States and China. He is calling this bill the Fair Trade with China Enforcement Act. It was... um, unveiled on the Senate floor on Thursday. Now, as I understand it, this bill would make it illegal for American companies to sell national security and and, and similarly related sensitive technology and intellectual property to China. I find it shocking that that's not already illegal. And, and how do we even go about effectively negotiating proper ter- tariffs with China and finding some degree of parity with a country that does not recognize copyrights, doesn't recognize intellectual property, is more than happy to steal trade secrets, um, steal uh, manufacturing secrets, and then market products uh, on their own and at every level undercut uh, manufacturers from the United States. I mean, it, it, it seems at a level as if we're kind of in here now saying, oh, time to close the barn door. We think the horse got out. Yeah, and I think the only way that we're going to be able to be successful is that, uh, you know, President Trump looks like a whack job. You know, let the de- Democrats keep calling him crazy and he'll do, you know, he'll, he wants a war and pull a trigger. Uh, I, you know, I think China, uh, you know, will take him serious like they, they certainly didn't take Obama or Bush serious. But I think the only way that we can deal with China, okay, and, and, and get what we want is we just got to keep showing our strength. And I think Trump's been doing a great thing with that. And I, and he, I think he's got a great relationship with him, although you can't trust him. But I think better than any other president I've I, I witnessed that he's got a, uh, maybe the Nixon. But um, I think you just got to keep showing strength. And that's what Obama didn't do. And that's why we're, 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 we got such a problem. But I, I think they respect him, don't you? 
Well, they're certainly finally in a position where there's somebody that's calling their bluff, which we haven't seen going, my goodness, back to even the Clinton administration never bothered right. to call uh, the bluff on Beijing or, or call into question why it is that when they export goods to the United States, we tap... Um, attack a 2% tariff on top of it and then sell uh, the goods at market. But when we export something for sale in China, they tack on 25% and nobody thought that was a problem? <laughs> I, look, I, our policy has just always been weak because our Congress has always been scared to death they're not going to keep buying our treasuries. And that, that's how they've gotten away with it. You know, and they keep keep hanging that over our head, but they're not going to stop buying our treasuries, because we 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 need to borrow. They need us to borrow money so that we can buy their stuff from them. Well, that's the other big issue here that seems to be sort of left out of the equation. Aren't we their number one customer? I mean, at the end of the day, when you are not only the biggest, but in some arenas the only customer, uh, it would yeah. seem to me that to a great degree, we're kind of in the catbird seat here, more than what Washington, D.C. heretofore has been willing to admit. Yeah, they're underestimating because, you know, they keep saying how China keeps saying how they're building their own middle class. Give me a break. You don't build a middle class in a communist country. You try to get rid of a middle class in a communist country. <laughs> it's the last thing. And even Obama tried to get rid of the middle class, and he was a so he's a socialist, remember? But that's why I think it's a bunch of nonsense because they need us. Uh, they, they got to buy. Who else are, are they going to get 3% from that is a stable country? I mean, uh, I, I, I think uh, this fear they're going to stop buying our treasuries and start dumping our treasuries, a bunch of nonsense. Well, it is just that. I, I think it's uh, short-sighted on the part of those that would suggest they would do that. And if China would suggest themselves, if Beijing would suggest that that would be the case, I think they're just simply bluffing. And, you know, it's it's the old adage that whoever blinks first loses. Um, they have repeatedly shown their hand, and I think it's smart of the administration to say, okay, if you, if, you, if you really want to go down this road, let's go down this road. The numbers at the end of the day tell the real story, and the numbers, I think, suggest that, uh, if anything, if anybody's here in the driver's seat, it's the United States. And sadly, historically, we've just never acted like it. Exactly. And trade deficits are the root of all economic evils when it comes to us. I mean, these trade deficits, we've got to take be tough. And I'm so glad to see what uh, he did with Iran, because what he did with Iran shows China and all these other countries uh, that he's tough. And he's going to do what's right for our country, not always politically correct, but what he feel is right. And and we can't, like you said, we can't sit there, you know, we, we got to play tariffs at 25, 35 percent for tires or whatever. We go over there they and they can ship them here. And we don't. And this is ridiculous. And uh, and the only thing they've always, always, always held over our head was the treasuries. And I, I never understood that. I mean, who else are they going to go and buy treasuries from that are as stable as we are? Well, that's just it. They're not. And and perhaps, too, while some on the announcement of the withdrawal of the Iranian deal uh, said it was crazy, it may actually be crazy like a fox. 
um, just on the the leading edge of the upcoming meeting with Kim Jong-un for the United States to show that willingness to send a message to a country developing nuclear weapons that we're not going to roll over easy. So perhaps that demonstration of might, so to speak, in advance of the June meeting in Singapore with North Korea was the smart thing to do. And the reason that China was so influential with, with, with North Korea, and they were really a big part of this, is because they believed Trump, that they that tr- Trump has strength, not like Obama and Bush and the rest of them. I mean, they they believe that Trump is a strong guy, and 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 that's why for the first time they were so helpful in getting this thing uh, it's organized in, in Korea, North Korea, because of the respect they have for him. You know, it's just like the guy in the schoolyard, right, the bully. All of a sudden you start st- standing up to him, you find out what a coward he is. That's exactly right. <laughs> I was yeah. just thinking of the same analogy. Let's yeah. come back full circle, Phil. We mentioned about this special webinar that you're going to be holding tomorrow, Saturday, again from 9 a.m. until noon California time, and folks can register and get more information online at philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Walk us through briefly, if you would, for a lot of folks that say, you know, I hear about these Wall Street numbers every day, and yeah, I've got some money aside, my 401k or an IRA, but I'm a little intimidated by the markets, or I've thought, gee, we've seen such spectacular numbers here. My goodness, even Craig mentioned back in March of 09, the markets were at 6,000 and change. Look where they're at today. Any fool can make money in this market. Is that necessarily the case? And what do you offer to the layman to help better understand exactly the ebb and flow of the markets? Well, the, the thing is right now, the, the market, if, if, look, first of all, we had two things that, that drove this market. Okay, first thing, as I mentioned before, you go, we had the stock buybacks. Now, that's a big part. And that, that's just a tool used to artificially inflate bottom line earnings. And 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 a lot of these stocks, uh, I mean, this is just uh, these these buybacks are just accounting trickery. So a lot of these stocks are way overpriced. But you also got to understand that we also had QE, which was nothing more than a confidence game. When you put QE together and stock buybacks, and and for the last ten years, as a result, we have this inflated market. If you didn't get in earlier. Uh, and you decide, well, I think I'm going to get in now. This is the worst time to be getting in. If you're going to get in, you want to get in with an ETF. Trading individual stocks is real dangerous. The first stocks that are really going to get hit are going to be the FANG stocks. They're the ones that are going to get pounded first, and, and, and including John's, uh, uh, you know, Apple and Microsoft. They are really going – these things are so overvalued. They're going to get plowed under. And it's one of them that is going to start. It's going to tip the market over and start to crash. It's going to be one of the fang stocks because I mean they're what about thirty? They 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 take about thirty two percent of the the gains of the whole stock market. These five stocks. If you, I mean if, if you put in the fang stocks and Apple and Microsoft, so it's it's ridiculous. So it's really tough to try to get in and buy today. So I would say an, an average person should really sit on the sidelines right now. Go to cash. Uh, and he should, uh, you know, if he wasn't in the market already, we love seeing retail customers come in right now. Then we're more convinced the market's going to crash. 
And certainly, as you mentioned, looking at those those top tier stocks, Facebook, Apple, or Amazon, certainly often quoted in there, uh, Netflix, Google, uh, valid concerns over all this, both in terms of the evaluations and uh, the notion that any one of those, because, you know, the, the old adage, well, a bank is too big to fail. Well, not always, as we've learned, and that same thing may hold true for any of these companies. And so, as you point out, this could literally begin the, the tipping point. You're going to be offering in Insights to all of these issues and more coming up right. tomorrow, Saturday. And I understand, Phil, folks can easily go online to register for the webinar yes. at philsgang.com? Yes, and it's only $70, and oh, we, we, these, we, we keep that price. So if you do learn and you feel you're getting value and you start using it, you're making money, just remember St. Jude, because that's the real reason why we do these webinars. It gives us an opportunity to raise money for St. Jude. We can reach out to new people. They join our gang. Uh, they start making money, and they donate to St. Jude. So that's another reason why we do these. Some great resources available to you again tomorrow, Saturday, from 9 until noon. Information available about the webinar by going to philsgang.com. That's philsgang.com. Well, Mr. Grandy, always an education to have you join us on the program. And uh, I guess we'll, uh, I'll use your line. We'll see you on the charts. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You have perhaps heard it said, the most segregated hour in America is Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. That's a quote, by the way, by Martin Luther King Jr., and to be sure, it was as true in his day as some might argue it is today. What is it about this business of reconciliation that sometimes we in the church seem to struggle with on the horizontal plane, when particularly so, we have such a loving and phenomenal example of what true reconciliation looks like through the example of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for all of us, that through we, him, we might be reconciled unto the Father. We take a look at this topic as we meet a new leader of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. He is lead pastor and speaker on the radio broadcast, Inspired to Live, heard weekday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on KFAX. And we welcome not only to the KFAX microphones, but to the San Francisco Bay Area, Pastor Brian Lourdes. Pastor, welcome. Well, it's good to be here, Craig. Thanks for the invitation to sit down and to chat a little bit. This has been kind of a, a ping-pong experience for you, coastally, roots in Philadelphia. You went to Philadelphia Bible uh-huh, College. Uh-huh. Then you made your way out to California for a while. and Went to Talbot there. Went to Talbot there. Met my wife there, so it was a good trip. And you pastored one of your first churches there. Well, I was on staff serving in a church, so a couple of churches. Bishop Kenneth Ulmer, I was on staff with him at Faithful Central Bible Church. And then I was on staff at Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena. And then after that, went to Charlotte for a couple of years, where I served as a young adults pastor. And then just felt burdened to plant a multi-ethnic church in the most segregated urban center in the country, which was Memphis, Memphis Tennessee. Tennessee. And I was right. there for about 11 years. And then from there to New York. New York City. And you barely experienced the first snowfall in New York. And God said, Brian, I've got a plan for you. Back out in California. Out of the blue, God completely surprised us. We were enjoying our 900-square-foot apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan (laughs) where we crammed in three boys. And uh, actually, I was doing the numbers. It's cheaper for us to live in Manhattan than the Bay. 
I'm not surprised. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, but out of the blue, I mean, we were enjoying New York, and out of the blue, there was just this open door and a nudge on our hearts to come to the Bay and to love on these dear people at Abundant Life. What was it about the calling in particular that, that really reached your heart? And I asked that question because, wow, the San Francisco Bay Area, now you're going to hear a native speaking, so I'll sound mildly prejudiced um, on behalf of the Bay Area. One of the most phenomenally diverse culturally rich areas of the entire country. And I think there's two from a spiritual dynamic. There's two distinctions about the Bay Area. Number one, if you want to go to the mission field, you're in it. Uh, Anybody who wants to experience what it's like ministering to any tribe, tongue, culture on the planet, you'll find it very well represented right here. But secondarily, because it's one of the most diverse mission fields, it also has the reputation of being one of the most challenging 4% per capita, lowest church attendance in the nation, right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Some would say, wow, why do you want to come cast seeds in this thorny, rocky soil when there's so many other rich parts of the country in which to do it? Well, a part of it is, you know, every part of the country has their own thing. So I pastored in the Bible Belt for years. And, you know, on the one hand, one of the blessings of it is you could assume a certain level of biblical and theological IQ. So you could say, hey, you remember the story of Noah, or hey, you remember that story in the Bible, and they would get it. The downside of it is I called it Elder Brotherville, uh, using kind of the imagery from Luke 15, where you have the younger brother prodigal, but the elder brother, who's close to the father geographically, but whose heart is far away from him. So, you know, the Bible Belt has its share of of disadvantages. And in a lot of ways, I'd much rather minister in a secular setting like this one or New York City than the Bible Belt. Because when people come to church, they're not coming out of tradition as much as I'm really seeking and searching for answers. Yeah, you don't find many cultural Christians in a place like New York City or the San Francisco Bay Area. Absolutely. And I think the thing that I'm starting to pick up on is for those who come who are seeking, you know, the Bay tends to attract the best of the best. You know, just the transplants were coming in to work for Google or Apple or all that stuff, which is right where our church is situated. They're coming in, and they're they're used to being at the top of their classes. They're used to having, you know, uh, great scores on standardized tests, so on and so forth. Then they get here, and they're starting to make their money. And I've had conversations with with some of them who aren't Christians yet, but they don't say it this way, but there's just this sense in their soul where they go, is that it? Mm. So I've got the Tesla. Uh, I live in the zip code. I've got the wonderful house, got the prestigious job, and I thought I'd be satisfied. Top of their game in all the yeah. senses in which we, from a materialistic or humanistic standpoint, measure success. Yep. And yet there's that God-shaped vacuum yes. that still presents itself. Absolutely, which I think is, is why Tim Keller has done such a wonderful job in New York City, which, again, is a similar setting. There are some, some differences. But him just kind of going, you're, you've been looking for meaning in the stuff of this life. You're not going to find it there. Let me point you in the right direction. Do you get a, a, a sense of joy and satisfaction from a pastoral standpoint and being able to lead somebody through the very basics to a level of Christian maturity. And and I ask that question, Pastor, because you reference the Bible Belt area where a lot of folks grow up in church, they know the basic stories, they can quote Bible passages and scripture. You start here in the San Francisco Bay Area, 
And it's deeper than just, well, in the beginning was the Word. It's, well, let me explain to you what the Bible is, why it's valid for today, how it can apply to our lives, and then take them from there. So it's almost as if you're starting in the most minuscule baby steps in that process of introducing somebody to the truths of Christ in through a commitment to the Lord and then eventually through discipleship and spiritual maturity. Is there something about that that attracts you? Absolutely. So yes, but no. And again, I'm hardly an expert on the Bay. So Craig, you, you feel free to push back on me. The thing that I'm sensing in the Bay is, is that yes, you're dealing with a group of people that Barna now calls nuns, N-O-N-E-S. So these are people um, who have no faith, right? Um, so on, on one hand, yes, I do have to start out with what the writer of Hebrews calls the elementary principles, basics. But on the other hand, my section of the bay, I feel like I can set the cookies a little bit higher on the shelf. So while there may be a low theological IQ, these are incredibly intelligent people. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, of one uh, gentleman who's at our church now who is a professor at Stanford and who at best would be a nominal Christian. Well, there's just this sense you look at and you go, that person's got an MBA from Harvard, and that person's got a PhD, and that person. So while I have to talk basics, I think at the same time, I can almost be like Paul on Mars Hill in Acts chapter mm. 17, and almost almost kind of have more of an intellectual, philosophical thing that still gets to the heart. There's also a sense, do you find, in many of the people here in the Bay Area, and specifically in Mountain View, in the part of the Bay Area, the heart of Silicon Valley, where you're ministering, that they they want something more out of life. As you yes. suggested, they've, they've achieved success financially and um, in their career and in their family. Now they're looking for something deeper, richer, fuller, and they're also le- wanting to leave their mark. I think of the, the, the millennials and the Gen Xers yeah. who are passionate about the planet and conservation and wanting to leave the place better in which they found it, perhaps. Yeah. I- is that a plus, too? So it's interesting you say that, Craig, because I'm, I'm sitting here going, I, I like to plan my preaching out about six to 12 months in advance, just kind of looking down the road going, man, these particular people, where do I want to lead them? I think what you're describing is the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm. And from what I'm picking up, again, about my section of Silicon Valley, I'm sure if I was in different sections of the Bay, I'd have a different approach. But where I'm at, Ecclesiastes just seems to be spot on, where you've got a guy saying, hey, I've pretty much done it all. You want to talk about women. You want to talk about alcohol. You want to talk about hedonism, intellect. I've had it all, and my conclusion is vanity of vanities. There's just this real sense of emptiness and a sense of unfulfillment. And so I I think that's going to be a bullseye study for us where we're going, and again, our section of the bay. And then from there, once having led them to and through that satisfaction, that fulfillment that comes in a personal relationship with Christ Jesus, to then help pivot them to that notion that, okay, here's a way in which you can leave your mark by playing a dynamic role in impacting other lives for the kingdom of God. So now we move from, well, let's save the whales to let's see what we can do to save humankind. Let's see what we can do to toss a, a lifeline out to somebody who is hurting, who is confused, who's troubled in their marriage, 
just wandering about and are looking for an anchor. Right. And, of course, we know that anchor to be Jesus. Right. Which, again, from an outsider's perspective, just coming here to the Bay, it's funny, my first day here, Craig, you know, when you move somewhere for the first time, especially if you're married, you and your wife have to make the Target run. And we go to Target. Absolutely. And <laughs> we load the cart up, about three, $400 worth of stuff. And we're, we're checking out. And again, this is like our first day here. And the guy behind the, the cash register is about 17, 18 years old. And he scans a few items and he goes, would you like a bag? And I'm going, that's strange. It's a weird question. Of course <laughs> I want a bag. <laughs> so I said, of course I want a bag. So he scans a few more items. He goes, you want another bag? And I'm like, this is weird. And finally it hits us that we're being charged for bags here. And the, the, the thing, and I say that to say the thing that I, I'm feeling about the Bay is just this incredible sense of responsibility to care for the environment, to engage well, to steward well. I think these are some things that are innate in humanity. That is, life's deepest satisfactions are not just in receiving, but we also kind of have this shared responsibility to want to give. But we got to put Jesus in the middle of all that, or it's just, just general philanthropy. So how do we wrestle with that? And really the vision of our church is saying we're not going to be a cruise ship. So on a cruise ship, it's all about you, you know. So you can, you know, get the extra steak. You can complain about the, you know, accommodations, the bedding, the food. I said we want to be a battleship. And on a battleship, you don't complain about the sleeping arrangements uh, because it's it's not about you. There's a – what's guiding everything is a mission. And so we're saying what's our mission at the church? Well, we want to produce – reproducing followers of Jesus Christ. So we don't want to just, we want to take people from being consumers and put them on a continuum and a trajectory to being contributors. Pastor Brian Lord is with us today in studio, lead pastor at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. His broadcast, Inspired to Live, heard weekday mornings at 5 a.m. right here on KFAX. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 